Hello and welcome back to the lecture series with Reb T, which we try to do in a bi-weekly format. Tonight we're going to talk about the disparagement of embarrassment. The sources are from Safari unless otherwise noted. Look out for those points to carry over. Those are the points we want you to really take home. They're usually bold, underlined in italics. If you're following along with the sources, which we, God willing, put up later on sheer enjoyment. And if you're following just an audio land, we try to read through it for you anyway. All Shirem are sheerenjoyment.com slash Shirem slash Shirem dash Reb dash T. Shout out to Jake W for all his amazing, wonderful work on sheerenjoyment.com. Three of the shows that I do are on all podcast forums, including iTunes and Google. The lecture series, which you're a part of right now, the PAL, which is about Pirkei Avos, a Mishnah Adey, and OT Talk, where we talk functional, independent tips on weeknights around all podcast forums. If you want to email me, shoot me an email, please, at rebt at cheerenjoyment.com. The shears for the Rufushlam of everyone, especially Livia Margalit, Badalana, Devorah, and for anyone sick or needing a Yeshua or Rafua. What's one of the worst feelings in the world? If you could think about what is a terrible feeling you wouldn't wish on anyone else, you yourself would never want to have. When did you ever feel truly awful at the hands of another or actions from someone else around you? Think about a time in your life when you felt so ashamed, so embarrassed, and so low. What happened? What caused it? What was the reaction? How did it feel and how did it affect your day? How did it affect your week? How did it affect your month? How did it affect that year? And how did it affect your life from then on? Embarrassment is one of the worst feelings in the world. The feeling of wanting to be swallowed up by the earth itself to avoid the humiliation. The feeling of being ashamed at the hands or events of people or things around you. The dictionary defines embarrassment as a feeling of self-consciousness, shame, or awkwardness. It is also defined as the state of feeling foolish in front of others, something or someone that causes a person or group to look or feel foolish. The word embarrass has the definition of to cause someone to feel awkward, self-conscious, or ashamed. Or if it happens to you, for you to be caused to feel this. The term humiliate means to make someone feel ashamed and foolish by injuring their dignity and self-respect, especially publicly. To feel humiliated is to be made to feel this by someone or something else. It is not a feeling I or anyone would wish on anyone and should never have to be experienced by anyone. It is truly a terrible feeling. I could still remember instances in my own life of supreme embarrassment. The details have been written out and embellished for story-like fashion, but bear with me. I picture myself as a middle schooler. It was an English test. I thought I did a good job. As we awaited to get our test back, I felt the nervousness in my bones and very being. Did I do a good job? Maybe I didn't do so well. Maybe I didn't even pass. I thought I did well, but who knows? I anxiously awaited getting the test back. Finally, it was my turn to get my test back. The teacher roared my last name. Think a made-up name. Shrinkleman! And I went up to receive my test. Looking back, I wonder why she used my last name and never my first name. Very impersonal, not the way that I would want to interact with my own students ever. I went up to receive my test. 
and she louded, she loudly shouted as if spitting in my face, here's your test, make sure to see me after class, I want to talk to you about it, in front of all the kids in the entire class shrieking at the top of her lungs. I was mortified and humiliated. I wanted to sink through the floor and disappear. The whole class obviously heard her screams, and they pretended to try to look away from smirking or commenting, but I knew they heard. I was utterly embarrassed. This story still stays with me almost 20 years later. Such is the power and damage embarrassment can inflict, even years later. It is such a destructive force that has to be so carefully handled and avoided as much as we can. The tone we use, the loudness we talk in, the setting we are in should all be considered and handled properly. I think of another example from a similar time in my own life. When I was a little younger at that stage, the details again have been written out and embellished for story-like fashion. I envisioned myself in middle school participating in a citywide spelling bee. I can remember the boxes of Entenmann's cookies handed out to us, placed on the table at the table, as we listened to instructions for the contest. In those days, I don't remember getting the word used in a sentence. I didn't have the luxury in that contest. I think to hell I got there spelling some really hard words at that age correctly in my own school, moving on to compete in the city. I was so thoroughly nervous that my whole being was shaking, trembling. I sat with the other competitors facing the audience of family members and others with the judges in front of them. I heard different words being asked to be spelled, but I don't officially remember them, but probably they had words like library, dentist, and others similar. It was just two people away from my turn, and I felt the sheer panic, the terror course through my body. At that time in my life, as a side note, I also had massive stage fright, still do, but much, much worse back then, and was not into speaking at all. Obviously, that changed, but at that point, I was not into speaking in front of people at all. Then it was about to be my turn. Ah, so, so terrifying. Then it was my turn. It's my turn right now. Oh my gosh, literally shaking in my boots. I stood up to the bright lights above me and around me. The spelling judge, one of a few judges, asked me, and I believe to this day this is the word that I was asked, although I may be wrong, but this is the word that is in my mind. The judge says loudly, please spell auxiliary for us. That's a very difficult world to begin with, even for adults, for us adults, let alone for a middle school child. I think to myself, oh, what? What is that? I had no no clue to what that was referring to. How is a middle school child of 11 or 12 supposed to know what that even is? I trembled to myself thinking, this is it. It's over. I have no idea of this word or how to spell it. They don't give sentences for the word at that point in that competition. I don't get any sentence for the word. I have no context for the word or where it would fit in. I begin to spell and hope for the best. Auxiliary! A! U! 
At this point, everyone in the crowd is looking expectantly at me. Everyone is looking at me, hoping that I'll spell it out. So I spell out, I'm asked as the spelling bee contestant. I'm asked to spell auxiliary. So I had said, hey, you. And then I look at everyone. I think to myself, I spell out the next letter, Z. And then immediately the judge bellows, incorrect, please sit down, you have been eliminated. I stay frozen in place in shock. What? I'm out? Just like that? And in such a heartless way of informing me in front of everyone here? So mortifying, humiliating. I sink down into my chair, feeling utterly defeated and ashamed. At that point, I felt that I had never felt so embarrassed in my whole entire short life until that point of middle school. This feeling of embarrassment of quote-unquote failure from that day stays with me for nearly 20 years within me. That is the impactful, unfortunate ability of embarrassment. That is the power of embarrassment. That is the power and the effect situations humiliation can have. The way we interact with and deal with others, even the words we use, the mannerisms we speak in, how we say things can make all the difference. The coldest of the words we speak, the tone we use, the words itself that we say, the harshness of such statements utterly defeating and cutting down the person involved is a feeling that unfortunately is present in too many people, too many situations, and found in too many contexts. But the question is, why is that? Why is it so, though? Why does this feeling do such torment to us, have such an effect on us? The Gemara says fascinating things about embarrassment. We look at the Gemara in Brachot 43b. Rav Zutcher Bar Tovia said that Rav said, and some say Rav Chana Bar Business said, that Rav Shimon Hasidah said, some say Rav Yochanan said the name Rav Yashim Bar Yochai. For another time, it's very important saying things in the person you heard it. It brings Geula to the world. We've talked about that before. That's a side note. But the Gemara here says it is preferable from an ethical perspective for one to throw himself into a fiery furnace rather than humiliate another person in public. Again, I repeat, it's better to throw yourself in the fire than to humiliate, embarrass another person in public. And public doesn't mean in front of 600,000 people. Public doesn't mean in front of 1,000 people. Public doesn't even mean a hundred people. It could be you, your wife, your kids, your family, your friends walking on the street and you say something utterly embarrassing, humiliating to the other person and he literally feels the floor, he wants the floor to sink beneath him because you can embarrass a person in outside. You could post something online. You could, write a, you could write a text. Nowadays, it's so easy, unfortunately, to embarrass people with the, the age of the cyber, with the Twitters and the texting and the cyber, you know, they're cyberbullying. There's so many things out there. Very easy to humiliate another person in public. But remember, public is, is, is in very different contexts, very many contexts nowadays. But remember what the Gemara says it's preferable to jump in a fire than humiliate anyone in any public context where do we derive this from tamar tamar was with yehuda we know the story yehuda's sons you know one of them was with tamar he didn't make it another one didn't make it 
and there are different reasons involved. And the last one, you know, Tamar wanted to marry Shiloh, Yehuda's youngest son. I believe his name was Shiloh. Yehuda said, no way, I'm not losing another son. He's too young, yada, yada. Tamar says, I know through Ruach HaKodesh or whatever, I know I need to have children through Yehuda's family. If it's not going to happen through his kids, it's going to happen through him. I need, I need to figure it out how it could happen. So she sets up a situation, not a, not a very... Um, not a situation that we would ever think about, but this is what Tamar decides, and she's with Yehuda, and in the end, she she she's going to have kids, and Yehuda steps up and says, you know, we have to take her out, and he was the judge of the generation, and, and Tamar says, to whoever this belongs, the, the signet and the sheep and the whatnot that she sent to Yehuda so she would have, and, and was sent back to so she would have proof, irre, irrefutable proof that she was, that she wasn't, going to be burned by the stake and she was going to be brought to the fire but at the last second she she said to whoever these belong this is this is where it happened from and Yehuda stands up and steps up to the plate which is a whole nother muster lesson in itself and Yehuda takes the takes the blame but Tamar was about to be led to the stake the Gemara says from this story it's better to be burned by the stake than to humiliate another person in public. The Gemara Kasubas also says it's better for a person to jump into a fiery furnace rather than to embarrass his friend in public. We're going to see a story that proves that in a minute. So why is that so? Why would we jump in a fire rather than embarrass another? Is there something else here? The Gemara Bava Mitzia explains, 58b, he who publicly shames his neighbor is as though he shed blood. We'll see another, uh, another source in the future in a little while that changes the wording a little bit, but similar, if you shame someone, it's like you killed him. And verbal wrong is more heinous than monetary wrong. And the Gemara Sanhedrin also points out one who humiliates another before the multitudes has no share in the world to come. That phrase is not used lightly. There's a couple of things that you don't get alam haba. Here is one of them. So we see embarrassment is a very bad thing. Is there another type of reason behind the statements brought here to avoid embarrassment? What is the deeper meaning, the deeper essence behind this? So this website, Talmudology.com, explains that the idea of Malbim Pnei Chavero, talked about in the Talmud, changing the face, whitening the face of your friend, quote-unquote friend, embarrassing them, meaning it causes the face to redden as the blood pools, then as it drains away from the face, the victim is left white with shame. And there are different triggers that can result in blushing, a threat to public identity, praise or public attention, scrutiny, and also accusations of blushing, oddly enough. But the Talmud talks about changing the face, coloring of the face of a person, changing it white. It's opposite of what really happens. A person blushes and seems a deeper level of embarrassment because the Talmud explains the person so embarrassed the blood drains from his face, causing him to turn pale. And the words here have the meaning. Embarrassed is to hamper or impede. It, it really can make someone feel awkward, self-conscious, or ashamed. Shamed. Shame itself is the consciousness of something dishonoring, ridiculous, or indecorous in one's own contact, conduct. And it's a situation which offends oneself self of modesty or decency. And humiliate means to make low or humble in position, condition, or feeling.
But or.edu also brings it a step further. The Talmud says, Rav Nachum Yitzchak says, we change the phraseology a little bit, one who embarrasses another public as if he's committing murder, going, going a harsher word than shedding blood, which is the same thing, but a little bit of a different context. Rav Nachman agreed with this teaching. The Gemara in Kasubas talks about a story, literally what a sage would do to avoid even a small hint of embarrassing, of embarrassment. There was a person in the time of the Talmud, who, there was a poor person who needed help, who needed money. Mar Ukva, a sage at the time, would, would daily leave coins behind the poor man's door. Very famous story for those of you who remember. One day, the poor man wanted to find out who had been leaving coins for him. So he waited until Mar Ukva and his wife stopped by and dropped off the coins. Apparently, they were running late that day. Mar Ukva and his wife couldn't make it at time to whatever. At this point, he waited... And he wanted to follow them. The pauper tried to follow them. The poor person wanted to see who they were, wanted to know where the money was coming from. When Mar Ukva noticed he was being followed, he ran with his wife and hid in a hot furnace so as not to embarrass the man. Mar Ukva literally took the words of the Gemara seriously and literally. He jumped into a fire so as not to embarrass the poor person, literally following the wordage of the Gemara. So we see how damaging embarrassment really is. We should be careful to avoid any type of embarrassment to those around us, like the story we just talked about. We should be careful, whether it be with family, friends, acquaintances, or the like, with avoiding words, mannerisms, tones, body language, and the like. Using harsh words is not necessary. I don't care if you need to criticize someone, or you disagree with someone, or you don't like someone's actions, you don't like their politics, you don't like their worldview or their viewpoint. Harsh words is not necessary and is uncalled for. The way to go is using kind words, loving words, a loving tone, and a gentle manner to deal with others, especially if you don't agree with their worldview, especially if you don't like their politics, especially if you don't like their actions, because you can hate the sin. You could hate the action, but you don't make the awful mistake, as the article Machser points out in the back, of hating the person, God forbid. You can hate what they do, you can hate their choices, but don't hate them them themselves, them in their being. You use a loving tone, kind words, a gentle manner to deal with everyone, especially people that you don't see eye to eye with. In that way, maybe we could bring more Ahavad Chinam. And Lashon Tov, the opposite of Lashon Hara. Good words and gentle speech and love for all people with having baseless love to those around us. You know, we know one of the Bate Mikdashim were destroyed because of Sinat Chinam. We know it was destroyed because of baseless hate. If the world was destroyed, the whole world fell apart when we lost the Beit HaMikdash. If the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed because of hateful speech and hateful hating for no reason... What do you think we could do to rebuild the Beis HaMikdash? In every generation that Talmud explains, if the Beis HaMikdash was not rebuilt, it's as if it was destroyed again anew in your generation. That means that baseless hate has not gone away. Because if baseless hate destroyed the Beis HaMikdash and it was gone, then it would have been rebuilt at this point. But obviously it's not gone. So a simple solution, not my solution, I've seen it in the in commentators and maybe the Talmud brings it and other Mepharshim, not my solution, but we bring it home. The simple solution could be having baseless love. 
You hate someone for no reason? No, no, no. We don't do that anymore. You love someone for no reason. The only reason being that they have a divine spark. That they're a human. They're a fellow living, breathing creature. Again, we don't have to agree with everyone's decisions or choices. We don't have to... We don't have to be their best, best friend. But deep down, you have to have a love of mankind, a love of people around you, and have to have a love for your fellow humans. That's how we could counteract sin which destroyed the temple. It's involved in loving a fellow Jew and human because of their divine spark within them as a human with a soul. Even if we disagree with others and their actions, never hating the person themselves doesn't mean we should embarrass or hate the person. It is of the utmost need and understanding to interact kindly with all people around us. In that manner, maybe we could finally be Zohar, to be the generation that does rebuild the base of Mikdash with having real Ahavad Chinam with everyone to bring Mashiach and the third temple speedily in our days. May it be very, very soon. So let's look at some other sources about embarrassment. The Bartonur on Perkelvis explains the face of one who is embarrassed turns red first and then white as the spirit of a person has two movements, one outwards and one inwards. So maybe you won't always see the person's reaction, but a lot of times words do hurt. Don't tell me sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can't hurt me, because words can definitely hurt. And you might not see it on the outside, but a person can be crushed on the inside, even if you don't see it on the outside, but it's definitely there. Lakuti Maharan explains, this is for Eliezer G. This is the aspect of embarrassment, because embarrassment is when the redness of the cheeks disappear and is replaced with whiteness. The point being to take on, the point to carry over, make sure not to cause the damage to another that results in the outer expression of the face change. I want to show you the very famous story of Kams and Bar Kamsa. Very famous. A lot of people learn this Gemara on Kisha B'Av. There's a whole series from Rabbi Foreman about baseless hatred on uh, on uh, Aleph Beta, an amazing website. But the Gemara comes from Gittin, 55b to 56a. Rav Yochanan says... That happy is the man who fears always, who hardens his heart, shall fall into mischief. And then Jerusalem was destroyed on account of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa. The place known as the King's Mountain was destroyed on, on a different thing, and Betar was destroyed on a different thing. But the Gemara talks about Jerusalem itself was destroyed on account of Bar Kamsa and Kamsa. Kamsa, there was a guy who had a friend named Kamsa. He had an enemy whose name was Bar Kamsa. We already know there's trouble. If you have two people, one your friend and one your enemy with a very similar name, where there's already trouble brewing, you know? But anyway, so one was Kamsa, his friend. His enemy was Bar Kamsa. So this guy made a large feast and said to a servant, Please go bring my friend Kamsa. The servant went and brought the wrong person. He brought him his enemy, Bar Kamsa. The man who was hosting the feast came and noticed how it doesn't say the name of the man. I realize this now. This is a good point, though. The person involved in this story, it says the account of Kamsa Bar Kamsa, but it never says the name of the host. Isn't that interesting? Why do you think it never says the name of the host? I think Hashem, the Talmud, the sages, knew about the detrimental effect of embarrassment.
and the people knew about the detrimental effect of humiliation. If this person who made a major, major mistake here would forever have his name recorded in the Talmud, people would, would feel such animosity towards this person. People would hate this person. People would have such anger towards this person. So the Gemara, the sages, probably decided out of respect for him not to embarrass him, not to humiliate him, even though he did this crazy thing that led to the downfall of Jerusalem, they didn't include his name. That itself is a lesson in embarrassment. That itself is a lesson in avoiding humiliation. Even the idea of Rus, we didn't include this source, but it comes to me also. In Rus, in Megillus Rus, there was a closer Goel Hadam. There was a closer redeemer of the kinsmen, a redeemer of the land than Boaz. But they don't call him a name. Isn't it interesting? They call him Ploni Almoni. Some people say that was his name, but a lot of commentators say that that was a, uh, like a, using the word Joshmo. That was giving him anonymity because how embarrassing for him to be forever recorded in Tanakh, not not going up and standing up and helping out Rus and her land and her family. Boaz did it, but the other guy didn't. But the Torah has certain sensitivity. The people who wrote in Tanakh have sensitivity to avoid embarrassment, to avoid humiliation. So they don't say his name. They say Ploni Almoni. They don't say his name here. They just say the guy who was hosting the meal. Just an interesting side point to talk about how we could avoid embarrassment when recording things, writing things down, relating stories over to our friends, leave out the names. If it's humiliating to the person, they made a major error, major mistake. They don't want their name. Anyway, so the man hosting the feast came, found Bar Kamsa sitting at the feast. The host says to him, my enemy is Bar Kamsa. You're my enemy. What are you doing here? Who invited you? Arise and leave. What do you want to do here? Arise and leave. Listen to what Barkamsa responds. Barkamsa, his quote-unquote enemy, says to him, and if he's his enemy, by the way, why would he show up at the meal? If he comes, it probably is because he wanted to do reconciliation. Maybe he felt like the host was reaching out. Rabbi Foreman explains this also, by the way. Maybe he felt like he was finally able to, to come together. So what? 20 years ago, he cheated me out of business. That schnook! Which I think also Rabbi Foreman says. But... He came to the meal. If he really hated the host, would he have come to the meal? If he was really a legit enemy at that point, would he have come to the meal? But he came to the meal already. Why can't you just let me stop? Since I already came, the Gemara says, let me stay and I will give you money for whatever I eat and drink. The host says to him, no, no can do. I want you out. The host says, no. Barkamsa says to him, I will give you money for half of the feast. Please don't kick me out. Don't embarrass me. Don't humiliate me. All the rabbis here, everyone's here. Please don't get rid of me. The host says to him, no can do. No. Barkamsa then says to him, he literally says to him, I will give you money for the entire feast. Offering to pay the expenses of the entire meal. Just so he won't be embarrassed. Just so he won't be humiliated because the Gemara knows. The Gemara explains how detrimental embarrassment is. So he doesn't want to be embarrassed. He's willing to pay for the entire lavish affair that he wasn't even invited to. He knows he wasn't invited to at this point. Just don't embarrass me, please. Host, don't humiliate me, please. The host says to him, no. Can you imagine the callousness of the host, by the way? At this point, he needs to throw him out. He has such anger, such rage that his quote-unquote enemy is here that he can't even let him stay. He can't even let him stay, and, and, and he, he's offering to pay for this, for half the feast, for the whole feast. Don't kick me out. The host still has the hardened heart and says no. The host literally takes Bar Kamsa by his hand, 
stands him up and takes him out of the feast. Some some versions I feel like say throws him out. Even so, Barkamsa was really not happy at this point. The sages were sitting there, didn't do anything. I'm angry. They should have stood up for my honor, for my dignity. They shouldn't have allowed such a, a callous embarrassment to happen. I'm going to inform against them to the king. So the story continues and goes on that he goes to the emperor. He says, and the Jews rebelled against you. And they say, how do you know? Maybe they're not. So he says, go test them. Send an offering. We'll see if they accept it. Barkamsa deviously, mischievous, mischievously. And uh, I... Maybe we could say sadistically, whatever. He goes and destroys the carbon. He makes a, a split on the lip, which for the Romans wouldn't be a defect. It's not like it's missing an entire limb, but for the Jews, it's a it's a it's a defect that doesn't work. So Barakamsa literally makes it that it's not going to be uh, accepted. The sages go back and forth. Should we do it? Should we not? Should we kill him? Should we do this? Whatever. And then they ultimately say, "You can't take the carbon. We reject the carbon. You can't kill him." And Lo, alas, we know what happens. The Romans basically go and destroy Jerusalem. All because of this story. Crazy, crazy, crazy. But it teaches you the profound aspect of how deep humiliation can go. And the story concludes, to conclude the story of Kamsa Bar Kamsa, the destruction of Jerusalem, the Gemara cites a Brisa. Rabbi Eleazar says, Come and see how great is the power of shame. For the Holy One, blessed be He, assisted Bar Kamsa, who had been humiliated. Due to His humiliation, due to His shame, Hashem destroyed His own temple and burned His own sanctuary. Because Hashem cannot tolerate the humiliation, the shame of another person. He'd rather destroy His temple, which if you can't give the proper proper honor, the proper dignity, the proper respect to people around you, you can embarrass and shame your people around you, maybe you don't deserve the temple. Maybe you don't deserve the Beis Amigdash. Maybe you don't have the proper Ahavat Chinam. You have Sinat Chinam, baseless hate to not even allow your quote-unquote other person to be at your party. He'll pay for everything. You can't even allow him. My temple can't be around. So I'd rather destroy my temple, Hashem says. I'd rather burn my sanctuary than to have such humiliation be present and allowed. So we see the point to carry over. See how powerful one act of embarrassment is that could destroy the whole world. Be so careful with another's honor. Don't insult those around you. And that goes with many things. The words we use. He's so dumb. He's idiotic. What a demented person. What stupidity. You be careful with the words you use. The manner you use. The tone you use. The harshness you use. Don't insult those around you. The Mishnah Perkei says, Those who are blushing are for the Garden of Eden. Those who have good blushing is for the Garden of Eden. The Gemara Brachos talks about one who commits an act of transgression and is ashamed of it. That's good embarrassment. There's bad embarrassment and there's good embarrassment. Like everything in the world, there's good and there's bad. If you have good shame, your transgressions are forgiven. Shame is a sign you truly despise your transgressions, and shame is the power to atone. Granted, you'll try to be better in the future. Gemara Yevamo says, David says, There are three distinguishing marks of the nation, the Jewish people. They are merciful, they are shamefaced, they perform acts of kindness. A person that doesn't have shame, a person that doesn't have embarrassment, the right type of embarrassment, we worry, we wonder if he's really a Jewish person. The Gemara Nadarn points out, shame causes one to blush, teaches that shame leads to fear of sin. It's a good sign in a person to have shame for the right reasons. A person who experiences shame will not quickly sin. Good shame. And conversely, one who does not have the capacity to be shamefaced, it is known that his forefathers didn't stand at Har Sinai. We're worried that he's not even a Jew. 
And that brings us to another point to carry over. Sometimes shame is good, especially in relation to misdeeds, as that proves we have a conscience and a hallmark of the, uh, and that's a hallmark of the Jewish people. The English explanation of Birkevus also points out if, if you make your fellow's face blush in public, it's really like killing him. Like we learned before, you cause your fellow to be embarrassed. It's as if he come, don't tell him, don't tell me you were joking around. Don't tell me you were just playing around. It's all in good fun. It's all in good humor. If he is embarrassed, if his face is drained of color, if his face is red in color, do you think he wants that feeling? Do you think he likes that feeling? Do you think it's enjoyable for him to feel that way, to feel so mortified? Nobody wants that feeling. Nobody likes that feeling. You think you're poking fun at the friend of your expense? All you're doing is poking embarrassment into your friend. It's not fun if someone gets hurt. It's not fun if someone is embarrassed. It's not funny if someone is hurt. We talked about that in the humor lecture also. One who embarrassed the English explanation of Perk Elvis explains and blushes as his mistakes will learn from them, will not continue to sin. Judaism doesn't want us to be perfect, but wants us to be progressing, to do what better. That, again, is good embarrassment. Look at the Gemara and Sota here. Rav Yochanan said, We spell person Adam, Aleph Dalad Mem, which is an acronym for Afer, Aleph, dust, Dumb, blood, Dalad, and Mara, Mem, bile, alluding to man's insignificance. Similarly, the Hebrew word for flesh, basar, is written with a bet, shin, resh, which is an acronym for bet, busha, shame. Saruha, putrid, and that's the sin. And rima, worm. The resh, alluding to his insignificance. Every letter, every word has such significance in the Hebrew language. It's fascinating how things relate and hint to different things in the Jewish language. The Gemara Soto also pointed out that, Joe, that Yehuda admitted that he was with some with Tamar. He wasn't embarrassed to admit his mistake. What was his end? Life in the world to come. Reuven also admitted his mistake that he did against his father and his wives. wasn't embarrassed. What was his end? He inherited the life of the world to come. If you're embarrassed for the right reasons, if you have shame for the right reasons, it leads to Olam Haba. But don't embarrass people and do it in the wrong way for the wrong reasons, because that could be going to Gehenna, God forbid. Gamar Soto points out, why did the sages institute the Amida prayer? Shows you the extent, we're going to show a lot of sources, the extent of embarrassment, how far we have to be careful. Why do we say Amida in a whisper? So as not to embarrass transgressors, people who sin, who confess their transgressions during the prayer. We don't want them to say it aloud so that people can hear them and they get so embarrassed, so mortified. It's between them and Hashem. No one else has to hear it. No one else has to know it. Gamar Babakama points out how his payment for humiliation assessed it depends on the stature of the one who humiliates and the stature of one who's humiliated. Don't tell me that, oh, he's a really powerful person. He won't be embarrassed by my words. He won't be affected. Everyone is affected in their own way. Everyone can be triggered in different ways. We don't know how harsh words will be for one person or another person, so don't use them to begin with because it could really hurt a person. Even if you don't think it can, it definitely can. The Gemara in Zvachan points out, Moshe conceded to Aharon. Moshe heard and was good in his eyes at that point. Moshe made a, a mistake. Moshe said, I'm not embarrassed. He didn't attempt to justify himself by saying, I didn't hear this halacha by now. I was mistaken in this halacha. He said, I heard it. And I forgot it. That's the way to go. The verse indicates Moshe heard. Moshe knew. The point to carry over is when we own up to misdeeds without justifying them, trying to be careful and try to be careful of the feelings of those around us, it leads to meriting Olam Haba. The Chomos Havavos points out, realize 
what shame can do, what its value is. It's so advantageous. Were not for this feeling, people wouldn't show achnasas orchem. People wouldn't keep their nadarm, God forbid. People wouldn't grant favors, show kindness, abstain from evil. Many precepts of the Torah fulfilled only out of shame. A large people wouldn't even honor their parents were not for shame. They wouldn't show courtesy to others if not for shame and embarrassment. Embarrassment is a place, if it's in the right way, used for the right purposes, not if you use it for the wrong way, God forbid. Mishnah Torah points out the Rambam says, although the person who verbally insults people is exempt from paying compensation, it is a grave sin. Only an evil fool reviles and abuses people. And then ancient sages declare, like we looked at before, anyone who puts a worthy Jew to shame in public has no share in the world to come. Be careful from using this thing. God forbid ever using it. You should never use it. Be careful. You don't want to lose world to come. We talk about in Pirkei Elvis, everyone is, is, has a plot in the world to come. Everyone has it, but it's so easy to lose. Don't lose it over something that you think is fun or funny when really it'll hurt someone and really embarrass them. The Gemara Chagiga points out, Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa said, anyone who does something sinful and regrets it, he is forgiven immediately. Again, the power of the right type of shame, the right type of humiliation and embarrassment. Rabbeinu Yonah and Perkei Avos. Right now in Perkei Avos, we're using Rabbeinu Yonah, so stay tuned for when we do a little more in-depth this Mishnah coming up. A person prone to being ashamed cannot learn. The trait of shame is good in every matter except for study. When David, peace upon him, was running away from Shaul, David had a crazy life, but he was the, the forebear of Tehillim. He wrote Tehillim. He was able to stand in many different situations. He stood in front of many kings and the nations of the world. He was not ashamed of speaking words of Torah and of the commandments, even if they mocked him, even if they ridiculed him, because shame is not good in study. Orchot Sadikim points out from the sense of shame, one reaches humility, for he humbles himself before people because of his sense of shame. One reaches a state of sincere modesty, since one with a sense of shame will not do any wrong acts openly. The sages said a sense of shame is known at a time of anger, when even his wrath does not cause a man to do or say something of which he will be ashamed. Because the point to carry over is that shame can be a powerful force when used correctly to guide us to do mitzvos, to guide us to good, for, to do good for others, to do good for the world. Brachos points out, I was not embarrassed, the sage says, for going royal dignity should make me worthy to be called pious. And the Gemara Brachos points out, David himself was not embarrassed to admit his errors with Bathsheba and Uriah. He says, Chatati, Chatasi, I sinned. The first thing he said, I was wrong. I acknowledge it. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. Please let me do tshuva. David is one of the paradigms of tshuva. Paradigms of tshuva. Conversely, Shaul, with the Amalek travesty, not getting rid of Amalek, he tries to justify his actions. And Shaul has to tell him, you know, because you ripped my garment, I have to rip the kingship away from you, Hashem says. And he tried to, he tried to justify himself. Finally, he says, I, I admit I was wrong. But David right away says, I was wrong. He had married to Kilov, who according to tradition was very wise, come from him. Gemara Brachos points out, shame is a sign one truly despises transgression, and he'll be atoned for his actions. And Gemara Brachos also points out, think about how we deal with our guests. Think about how we deal with people in our day-to-day lives. When you have a host, when you're hosting people, try to be as generous as you can with those around you. It comes to the idea of generosity and doing for others, being a chesed-oriented person. We're going to talk about God willing selfish versus selfless coming up in the lecture series. Be generous, be selfless. The host breaks bread so that he will break bread generously. 
Whereas a guest might be embarrassed to break a large piece for himself and other guests. That's why a lot of times if we have guests, we bring all the food to the table so that the guests can take as much as they want. If I plate the food for them, maybe they won't have enough. If I give them a tiny helping, maybe it's not large enough. Let me bring the food to you. You decide to take how much you want. Obviously, in current crazy corona times, we're not talking here in 2020. But in general, that's an idea. When I'm giving a food or I'm cooking for someone dinner, I want to give you a very generous portion. Because for yourself, you might not want to take so much. But if I make you enough that'll last for the night and last for the future, that's good. Let me give you the cutlery. Let me give you the, the drink. Let me give you a, a dessert. Let me give you as much as I can so it's more than enough so that I could be a host to you, I could benefit you, because you yourself might not take so much. Gamar Shabbos points out, one who enters into a partnership with a needy person is the greatest of them all, since in that case, the needy person is not embarrassed when receiving the assistance. That's why the Rambam points out there are eight levels of tzedakah. The highest level of tzedakah is giving someone a job. It's like the famous phrase, if you teach someone to fish, you know, they, they, they will be able to get fish for the rest of their life. If you give someone a fish, they're dependent on you. But you teach someone to fish, they'll never have to rely on you again. You give someone a job, they won't ever have to rely on you. That's the highest form of sadaka. The second highest form is when you're anonymous and they're anonymous. You don't know who you're giving to, and the person being given to doesn't know where it comes from. Because if he did know, and you did know, that there are all these people in the community that really need the help, it's very embarrassing for the family. It's very embarrassing for the person. You might be embarrassed on their behalf, and they're for sure embarrassed to take it. So we want to make sure to do things anonymously, do things in a nice way, do things in the least embarrassing way. Gamar and Shabbos also talks about elsewhere. It's to teach that once you give charity discreetly, do it in a humble, anonymous way as much as possible. The poor person will not be embarrassed. The Gemara Shabbos later on in 156 says, If someone didn't have bread, when it came time to gather the bread, he would be embarrassed he didn't have any to give. When I came to the person who did not have bread, I rendered myself as the one who was taking from him so he would not be embarrassed. And Shmuel says this is a mitzvah. Because maybe not everyone has so much money, especially now. Maybe everyone doesn't have so much food, so much resources. How can we help them without embarrassing them. That's why these amazing organizations do it in a really nice way. Tom Shabbos. And, um, and uh, I forget all the other organizations. Tom Shabbos is one of them. There are many other ones, you know, places like Maspia. They do such great work and they make it in a way that the person doesn't have to be embarrassed. Maspia makes it look like a restaurant. What a beautiful concept that they make it in such a way. The food pantry here where we live, they make it in a beautiful way where you could do it in hours and, and in a time slot in different ways that they don't have to feel embarrassed. Food packing and food delivering done in a way so people don't have to see you. Sometimes they don't need to see your face. I remember my wife and I once went food packing and delivering a long time ago, many years ago. And when we dropped off the food, you could tell a lot of the people were really self-conscious. A lot of the people were really you know, mortified that they had to take the help, that they had to see who was delivering it. So sometimes it might have been better to leave it at their doorstep, bring the bell, and run away. Because you're getting the food, but maybe you don't have to feel embarrassed. And and sometimes some people were really happy that I was giving it to them. My wife was giving it to them when we did the food packing all those years ago and delivering. But if it embarrasses you, maybe there's a better way to do it. Maybe we could ring the bell and run away, like we mentioned. Or maybe we could figure out a way to just drop it and run. You know, there are ways to do it without feeling or giving embarrassment to the person. The Mode Cut and Gamara points out how the poor were embarrassed because they were buried in a different manner. So the sages right away said, we're going to institute that everyone's face should be covered so that the poor can be 
still honored so that we can have proper honor for the poor. We have to think about people and their feelings and their emotions. If you don't have as much money as me, I don't have as much money as him. Let's do it in a way that we could all contribute equally. That's why in the Midbar, everyone gave half a shekel. I'm sure there was a rich Joe Schmo who had 400 shekels he could have given. And I'm sure there was a, a poor Yankel Shmero that really almost couldn't afford the half a shuck. But Hashem made it in a way, Moshe made it in a way that everyone gives the same amount so no one is embarrassed. Maybe that's one of the reasons they gave the half a shekel amount. Everyone gave what they could give and everyone gave the same amount. Orachim points out in Shemot, we read in Tanis that, that Gemar Tanis, the charity collectors were careful to keep out of sight of poor people so as not to embarrass them into contributing something they cannot afford to give away. A lot of times people approach us, people come to us, we feel embarrassed not to give money. Can you give the $120 you gave last year, Reb T? I don't know if I could give the $120. Can I just give a little bit? Can you just send me an envelope in the mail? Can you call me another time? Can you send it to me another time? I don't want to feel pressured to give what I gave last year. Maybe last year I was feeling extra generous at the time. Maybe I had more money at the time. Don't embarrass me to give to make me give money I don't feel comfortable with giving. I try to give we try to give a lot of tzedakah, ten percent on all our checks, all our money, and you're asking us for more and more and more. Maybe we don't have the money. Maybe we can't do it right now. Maybe figure out a way to just send it in the mail. If I give it I can, if I can't, I can't. Do it in a way that doesn't embarrass others. Gemara also, Moed Katzen points out, everyone would see they were poor, so they made the, the, everyone would give what they could give. Some people would bring it in beautiful, rich baskets of gold and silver. Somebody would give it in straw baskets. But what about the poor people who really couldn't afford even a straw basket? How would they give the Bikurim or whatever they were bringing to the temple to the, to Yerushalayim? The sages instituted everyone should bring the meal in baskets of peeled willow branches, Due to the honor of the poor, again, looking out for the embarrassment of those who are destitute, even those around you who might not be destitute or might not be in the same situation as you, being mindful of those around you. An English explanation of the mission mode, Cotton points out poor people would be embarrassed. They couldn't afford fancy funerals or fancy mourning homes. As a response, the sages, again, looking out for the poor and those around us. That's why people get very up in arms. There's so many things in the oral Torah. There's so many things in the Gemara. There's so many fences. There's so many things. Why do they do this? If we realize the sages are like our parents, they're trying to look out for us, look out for our emotions, look out for our feelings. They're not trying to hurt us. They're trying to protect us. The 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 takanos and the, the fences, the siags they think of are not to hurt us. They're trying to help us. You may think on Shabbos, there's so many things I can't do. Look at it in a different way. There's so many things that sages are protecting us that we don't do wrong. The sages are trying to help them out in all these places that everyone should bring things in a simple vessel. Because the morning home is not a place where one should be showing off one's wealth. Keep in mind the proper timing and placement of things. Remember where you are and where you're holding. The point to carry over, we should try to be sensitive to others. Not to embarrass them, even in a small way that we might not have thought of otherwise. Realize even small acts of kindness to avoid embarrassment can make all the difference. The Gemara Pesachim points out, when a rabbi is giving a lecture, when a rabbi is giving a shir, don't raise difficulties during the lecture. Try to wait till the end when he says, I'll take questions at the end. Many rabbis say, you know, we got to get through all the material, get through all the sources, try to ask questions at the end. Because if you do it during the lecture, you could really throw him off. And maybe he won't have the mind frame, the mindset to answer the question correctly, when really later on he could. Don't make him embarrassed in this way. 
Gemara Chagiga points out, if you perform a good deed, you know, be careful about how you do the good deed. You want to give a dinar, you want to give a coin to a person, maybe don't do it in public, you can embarrass the poor person. It would have been better you not gave it the way you did, because now you gave it to him and embarrassed him. You know he's a poor person, he's walking home, can you wait till he gets home? Can you wait till it's later in the day so everyone in the Roshot Rabin, so everyone in the public doesn't have to see him taking the money? Everyone knows that he's having hard times. Don't make it more obvious to everyone else. Just follow him, talk to him. Can I come to your house at 8 o'clock? I wanted to ask you something. And then you go to his house at 8 o'clock and say, can I give you a little bit of money? Is that okay? Don't do it in front of the entire supermarket of your town. You know Yanka Shmerel needs a little money and you come and give it right in front of everyone, all his friends. It's really embarrassing for him. There's a better way of doing it. And that's what the Gemara teaches us here. Gemara Baba Metzir points out, even the great sages were embarrassed if they ruled incorrectly and they owned up to it. And they realized they made a mistake. Gemara Zavachim points out, Moshe was not embarrassed in the attempt to justify himself by saying, I didn't hear it. He said, I heard it and I forgot it. He owned up. He knew that he didn't have it. Rashi also mentions, sometimes I don't know. Sometimes I just don't know what it's trying to say here. But then he'll say, Libi Omerli, that's famous by the aphod. There's an aphod, I saw royalty, a person wearing it. This is what it might have looked like. But he said, I don't know. Great sages, great people can say, I don't know sometimes. Don't be embarrassed if you don't know something. Better to be, better to be honest than to, than to pretend. Medjushtam Chuma points out, Yosef saw his brothers were extremely embarrassed. He said, come near to me, I pray to you, I'll prove to you that I am Jewish, that I'm your brother, that I have a bris milah. Because the point to carry over, we can make others feel less embarrassed by showing empathy and performing small, powerful acts. The Medjish Tanchum and Vayachi, my parasha, one of the favorite, favorite portions of the entire Torah, obviously biased. Rav Yochanan was leaving this world. He said to those around him, bear me in colorful garments that are not really white or black. I don't want to be humiliated if I come to, when I come to the next world, God willing. When Rav Yoshio was leaving, he said, bear me in white garments because I'm ashamed to stand before my maker. In what I commanded and committed. Nowadays, we bury people in Tachrichim so that everyone is is assumed to have been taken away from their sins, assumed to be um, repentant, assumed to be forgiven from their sins and whatnot. So everyone's buried in these beautiful white garments. Medjushtim also points out. Korach and his followers wouldn't have been destroyed had they not embarrassed those around them. Tosus and Rachel points out they're embarrassed by the fact that the living are obligated to perform mitzvahs that are not. That's why we tuck in our tzitzahs in the cemetery. We have to understand, on a metaphysical level, whatever, not to embarrass the dead. Not to, to make fun of the dead, God forbid. Not to poke, poke mitzvahs they can't do at the dead. The Shulchan Shan Arba also points out even non-living things be careful. Spread a cloth over the bread when saying the blessing. Cover your challah so as not to metaphorically embarrass the challah. That's the custom to cover the bread when you say brachas amazon, to cover the bread when you say kiddush so the bread won't be embarrassed. Allah has come of a comma not to embarrass your fellow humans. Don't even embarrass animals. You know, the the gemar, the the I believe Rashi talks about the donkey wasn't allowed to live, the donkey with Bilaam, so that people shouldn't say when the donkey was going through the marketplace, this is the donkey that such sins, atrocities, was, was, was what happened with. Hashem didn't want even the donkey to be embarrassed, because the point to carry over is we should be careful, respectful, even non-living things, even animal things, even of the dead. Show proper etiquette, proper respect not to embarrass them. That's why we tuck in the tzitzes in the cemetery, not to flaunt that we could do mitzvahs and they can't. Tosos and Brachel points out, if one tells others he sinned, appears he is not ashamed about his sin. We have said earlier that 
you know, being embarrassed about the sin brings about forgiveness is therefore praiseworthy, but still, it's better not to flaunt a sin, I would say, anyway. Sefer Hasidim says, Never did I insult a person, return an insult to a person who cursed or embarrassed me. Instead, I would be patient with him. Forgive anyone who caught me distress, which brings to mind for me, Shmuel Bet, Perak Ted Zayn. David had a very, very hard life. David was fleeing from his son Avshalom. David had to deal with Shaul. David had to deal with such adversity. Later on, he has to deal with Adoniyahu at the end of his life. But right now, he's running from uh, Avshalom. What do you think he has to deal with? Now he has to deal with a man named Shimi ben Gera. He comes out of here. He hurls insults at David, the great David HaMelech. He throws stones at David and his king's men. While the troops in the wars were at his right and his left, and he sends him insults, he tells him this and that, I don't want to use the words, it just was very degrading what he said to him. And, you know, his men, Avishai, stands up and says, I want to kill him off with his head, this is Mori ben Malchus, he deserves to die. But David responds, the king says, what does this have to do with you? He's abusing me because Hashem told him to abuse David. And David says to him, let him go on hurling abuse. My own son wants to kill me. How much more so this guy? Let him go on hurling abuse. Maybe this will be a kapara for me. Maybe I will get a little bit of less punishment because of this today. Obviously, much later on, he sends his son Shalom to take care of Shimi in a very ingenious way. But David here does not respond. David says, I'm going to take the rebuke. I'm not going to respond to the rebuke. How high a level is that? That we should try to aspire to? What an amazing thing. Somebody insults you, someone criticizes you, the first thing you want to do is defense. The first thing you want to do is argue back. But we say all the time the best defense to someone who's hurling insults at you, someone who's angering you, someone who's being mean to you, even your boss, administrator, they're being condescending and yelling at you. The best response is a calm response. The best response is using soft words. You're an imbecile. You're demented. You're an idiot. How could you do this? You're not doing things right. You're doing the job wrong. You're doing everything wrong. You're a failure to my institution. The best response, I'm sorry you feel that way. It is so sad you feel that way. They want to get a rise out of you. They want to make you embarrassed. They want to make you criticized. They want to make you riled up. They want you to shout back. That's what their masochism for themselves is doing. They're being sadistic to you. They want to get a rise out of you. What you do, the way to fight it, the way to destroy that is not to give them the satisfaction of that rise. Not responding to their rebuke. Not responding to their shouts. Answering in a loving manner, using loving tone and loving words, even if it's someone who you immediately want to hate. Even if it's someone you immediately want to throw back in their face, the best response is a calm response. And sometimes the best response is no response. Sefer HaChinuch points out, the beginning of the rebuke is fitting for a person to rebuke privately with soft expressions and calm words. If you need to rebuke someone, do it in a loving manner, with loving words, in a nice way. If you're cursed or embarrassed to not respond to them, be from the insulted and try not to say anything. If you're the boss, you have to let someone go. There's a way to do it. You could say, I need you to go. I don't have room for you. I don't have money for you. You, you... You're not wanted here anymore. You're not welcome here. Your contributions are not enough. You're not a part of this company anymore. Or you could do it with a loving way. I wish there was a way from the bottom of my heart that we didn't have to do this. I wish there was something else we could do. Unfortunately, you only have two years at this place where the rest of my workers have 42 years. And I have to find a way to save the company. I'm so sorry it has to be this way. I wish I could help you. The best we could do 
is to give you a really good severance package. And I'm going to write you recommendation letters. I'm going to send you to my, my quote-unquote competition. When really he's my friend. I don't have enemies. He's my competition, quote-unquote. But we're friends for 40 years. He sells fish on Amsterdam. I sell fish on 42nd Street. Don't worry. We take care of each other. Maybe he has room for you at his company. There's a beautiful story of a guy whose fish market went belly up. It happened last year or so. His store was on fire or burned down or something. Do you know what his competition did? He literally took him into his store and he let him sell fish out of his store. Isn't that amazing? He took in his quote-unquote competition and he let him sell fish from a store where he sells fish. What are you doing? You're shooting yourself in the foot. How could you do this? How could you allow someone who sells the same product as you from your store? But the guy said, I know my... Parnassa comes from Hashem. I know where my money comes from. If I'm doing something to help someone, this is the right thing to do. He lost his store. Why should he lose his income? I have a space in my store. Let him sell also. People that want to buy his will buy his. People that still want to buy mine will buy mine. But this way, I could save him. Why should he be embarrassed to lose his entire livelihood? I'm going to take him in. What a beautiful Kiddush Hashem. It was in the paper. It was a very famous story. He knew where his parnasa came from. If we could all strive to be on such a beautiful level when it comes to dealing with others, not trying to embarrass others and helping others. The point to carry over being we should try our best to take insults and embarrassment and criticism that come our way if Hashem sends it through a messenger without reacting or responding. Also, Mission Torah points out if the teacher is talking, don't ask him about a different subject, but after words you could ask or only ask about the subject involved so he won't get embarrassed and be flustered. Mishatar also points out, if you're embarrassed and ashamed by actions in the past, the merit increases and value rises, but don't bring up a person's past. If a Baal Tshuva is a Baal Tshuva, don't remind a Baal Tshuva of their past. They're at a different point now. It's not nice. It's not right to bring it up. It's embarrassing for them. Mishnah Tor points out anyone who gives a ducat to a poor person with a scowl causes him to be embarrassed, causes his false face to fall in shame. Even if he gave him a thousand dollars, a thousand Zeus, you've destroyed any merit because you took away the smile. He doesn't feel like you're doing a it doesn't feel like you're doing it in a happy manner. It feels like a burden and it's embarrassing for him. If you did it with a smile and it's a pleasure for you, he would feel uplifted. But if you do it with a scowl, you're doing it in such a manner that's really bothering him and he feels ashamed. Mishnah also points out the way the sages did, they would put coins in their garments so anyone who needed would come up and take it discreetly. Sefer Chinuch points out that even if a person wasn't hit but embarrassed, the, the court must figure out a way to recompense him for embarrassment. One of the five things in, in uh, Nezikim we talk about is embarrassment, boshes, not being able to work and, and having the injury slapped across the face or fell down or whatever the pain was. If he's embarrassed, he needs to be recompensed for that. Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar points out, any guest who entered by one door would leave by another in this person's house so as to avoid feeling embarrassed by other travelers who would see him. The point to carry over is when giving to others, make sure to do so with a smile, not to make them feel even small embarrassment. The Zevach Pesach points out, don't be embarrassed because you're needy. We were also ancestors in Egypt. A person should feel like they're in their stage because Hashem gave it to you. Bartonor and Perkevus points out a person to being ashamed cannot learn. Since one is embarrassed to ask, they will make fun of him. He will never have his questions answered. You have to stand up and ask your questions. A different type of embarrassment. Sforno points out in Vayikra, an ethically good way to extend a loan to your financially embarrassed brother without charging him interest or selling in lieu of interest is doing it because he needs the loan. Don't tack on interest. It's not the right thing to do. It's embarrassing for the needing of the loan. Don't add fuel to the fire of embarrassment. 
Kavayasher points out, if somebody knows that a colleague won't be able to answer the question, don't ask him the question so he won't be embarrassed to begin with. What are you doing? You're just making him embarrassed for no reason. The Minchan Ali points out, why do we begin the Seder with the needy so they won't be embarrassed sitting at the table of someone wealthier than them or someone that doesn't want them? Kliyakar points out Moshe was embarrassed when people gaped at the radius of his face. He didn't realize how, how shiny his face was. And when he realized that, he figured out what to do about it. He got the mask. Derech Hashem points out we should be embarrassed by our loneliness. Understand where we are in life. Understand where to go and how to use our embarrassment properly. Chef Shmaita points out very famous. Rachel gave the signs to Leah. At the end of the day, she knew Leah was going to go to the Chuppah. She didn't want her to be embarrassed. That was a big zuchus for her. Medjugada points out Hashem remembered her modesty when he gave the signs to her many years later so that she shouldn't be embarrassed. The point to carry over is we have to be kind and considerate to others, understanding others, trying to help them out with keeping feelings in mind. Ma'arechad Heidenheim points out in the Haggadah, our ancestors tells us that we should tell needy they shouldn't be embarrassed of the situation of needing help because we all come from poor people. Ketoshur Aruch points out, don't be irritable during a meal because the guests in the family will be embarrassed to eat. They might think you're angry and don't want them to eat, which is not true. Your face is the Rosh Hashanah, the great sage once said. Be careful what you put on your face. Kitzvah also points out, don't visit people that are not proper to be visited. If they have stomach problems, they might be embarrassed. Nadarim points out, Gemara, if someone has an intestinal illness, Buderam, Buradam, don't mention them, don't visit them. It's embarrassing for the ones suffering from the illness, especially if they have gas pains or they have bowel problems or they have any problems where they're weak and they can't stand up. Be mindful, the point to carry over is of people's conditions and situations. If they will be embarrassed to be called or visited, try to keep it in mind. Try to realize the timing, the placement of when you want to visit people or you want to want to help people. Sometimes helping people is more help by not coming. Especially if someone gave birth, they don't want anybody to come. Just the spouse should be there. Understand the timing and the placement of things. The Yismach Yisrael points out, the evil inclination tries to make us feel bad. Are you embarrassed to come before Hashem? Look at all the sins you've done. But we have to realize it's trying to destroy us when really we should be allowed to stand before Hashem. Even if we sin, we try to do such good. Realize that we're more white than black, our soul. Because it's more pure than impure. That we have good spots versus the bad spots. Mishnah World points out, mocking you, if he's average person in the company of great men, don't be embarrassed to learn or do a mitzvah. You yourself have your own standing. The Mishnah Baruch points out, if others will be embarrassed by learning details of transgressions, don't talk about it. The point to carry over, don't let the evil inclination embarrass you or get you down. You're much more than any transgression or fault or habit. 99% you can be a good person, but you have addictions, afflictions, habits, or sins. You're not those things. You are the sum total of everything in your existence. Think about the idea of Goslin versus God. If Baba Kama points out, why is the Torah stricter with a thief than a robber? Because Rabbi Yochanan Zaka points out the robber is talking about honor of the servant to the honor of the master. And the thief did not equate honor of the servant to the honor of the master. The robber doesn't fear Hashem or people. He robs in public, but the thief doesn't fear Hashem. He fears other people. He steals at night under the cover of darkness thinking that Hashem's not seeing not seeing him and, and that the person's not seeing him. He's more worried about the person than Hashem, God forbid. Which demonstrates he's more concerned about humans than God. Weekday Sitter points out a Jew must always fear Hashem in private and public. And the Machser points out we have to realize that we should be embarrassed and ashamed to be before Hashem because of our sins but still try to move forward even if we sin. Remember to fear Hashem in public and private. Hashem knows all and sees all is the point to carry over. The English explanation Perkevus points out that 
Aaron had a very cool way of going about things. He would come to one person and say, Oh my gosh, I wish you would go back to the other person, a husband, wife, a friend, a friend, family member, family member. You go and say with each person that, that we were ashamed to be before him. I felt so bad for what I did to him, making peace within one another. And he would make it a habit to draw people closer to him those who did evil things, because he he wanted them to be to to be close to them, they would feel embarrassed and think, "Woe to me! If Aaron knew what I did, he would not be my friend." I must try to do better so that I deserve Aaron to be my friend. We should all be zolcha to try to do such good things, to try to make pe- peace with others, to try to associate with others, to try to bring people back, not embarrassing them, but just by being a good influence on them. Try to make peace with others. Work on any feelings of embarrassment or the like. The point to carry over. The Siddur Eidad HaMizrach, we're almost done. A few more minutes. Bear with us, please. May it be your will that they will not be embarrassed in this world and not be denigrated in the next world. We want to make sure our existence is so complete, so good, we won't have to stand before Hashem and embarrassment. The Talmud in Erechon points out, don't bear sin because of him. The one giving rebuke may not sin by embarrassing the other person. If you have to rebuke, do it privately with loving words and a loving turn, tone. Gemara Erechon points out, I'll be surprised if there's anyone in this generation, Kava Homer, our generation, who knows how to rebuke correctly without embarrassing the person he's rebuking. The Dasikanim on Bereshus also points out, Yehuda admitted having wrong Tamar and embarrassing himself greatly in the process. Torah Oroch points out, when Yitzchak possessed more than the king, the matter became embarrassing for the king to host the commoner who was richer than him. Rashi and Devarim points out, why did Moshe give Tochacha right before his death? Because he learned to do this from Yaakov, and he also learned it from Yahushua, and he learned it from Shlomo, and from David. All these people learned from each other to do it at the end of their life. Why? Because I wanted you to make sure that Yaakov said, I didn't want to rebuke Reuben, so he would leave and go to Esav. And we should make sure that you do it at the right time. You do it before death, so that you shouldn't reprove him, and again have to reprove him again. So that the fellow who reproves him should not go feel ashamed, and so that you should reprove him so that you do it at the right time and he won't leave you and God forbid leave the fold. People did this. Yoshua also did it before his death. Shmuel did it before his death. David did it before his death. You have to do it at the right time and in the right place. Moshe didn't want to do it at the right place. They would run away, God forbid. And he did it at the end of his life so that everybody would be there. He did it in front of everybody so nobody would run and say, Ah, oh, Moshe didn't rebuke us together. Moshe realized how to do rebuke, how to not embarrass them, how to do it at the right time, when to do it. The point to carry over is be careful when giving rebuke, what time and how to do it. Avoid it if you can, but if you can't, you have to do it. Do it in a loving manner at the right time with soft words and demeanor. The Torah points out it's the nature of the blemishes that he or she afflicted with the blemish tries to hide it because it's embarrassing. Don't point out someone's blemishes or faults. And Yaakov points out today we had a man among us. I knew he had no bread. He would be put in a barren position. I will make the connection instead of him because he doesn't have the bread. The English explanation of Mishnah Baba Kama points out the Mishnah teaches person not forgiven for embarrassing another person merely by paying a fine. You must ask for forgiveness. People forget that you have to ask for it, not just think it'll go away. The English explanation of Mishnah Harayat explains it's embarrassing for a woman to be called with both and for a man. We have to realize, men and women, we have to realize proper places, proper, proper positions, proper things. If, if a person needs to go out and get something, sometimes it's better for the man to go than for the woman. Mish, the Gemara Tanis points out that, that the very famous Gemara that everybody would wear the same clothing on tube of so as to avoid embarrassing those who don't own any. Maybe a princess would have a ton of money to have a dress, but what about a pauper's daughter? What about an average person's daughter? They wouldn't have the clothing to go out and try to be taken on tube of for marriage. So everybody would go and borrow white clothes in order to avoid embarrassing anyone who didn't have them. And they would talk about the different attributes. If this one was beautiful, they'd say, look at the beauty. If this one was smart, said, don't look at the smart, don't look at the beauty, look at the family. If this one had great, 
grace and whatever, they would extol the different virtues so as not to embarrass any one person and to focus on the actual attribute that was important. The Dav Shavuot points out, Zara never called a friend by embarrassing nickname that he had. So often we think it's funny. We think it's fun to use nicknames. Nicknames are not appropriate, acceptable, unless the person who is given the nickname likes it, approves it, and uses it and wants it. Use a proper name. Don't embarrass them. Because very often, the power, the point to carry over, we have the power to avoid situation of embarrassment for others. Make sure to do so to help those around you. We're about to finish up. Thanks for sticking with us. We're going to repeat the points to carry over. Make sure not to cause the damage to another that results in the outer expression of the face change. From the comps of our comps story, we see how powerful one act of embarrassment is that it could destroy the whole world be careful with the honor of another don't insult those around you sometimes shame is good especially in relation to misdeeds it proves we have a conscience in our hallmarks of the jewish people when we own up to misdeeds without justifying them we try to be careful of the feelings of those around us it merits all it merits for us to get olam haba god willing Shame can be a powerful force when used correctly to guide us to do mitzvahs and good for others in the world. We should try to be sensitive to others, not embarrass them, even in a small way that might not have been thought of otherwise. Realize even small acts of kindness to avoid embarrassment can make all the difference. We can make others feel less embarrassed by showing empathy, performing many small, powerful acts. We should be respectful even of the dead, even of animals, even of non-living things. Show proper etiquette not to embarrass them. Like tucking in sits in a cemetery, covering challah when you make kiddush. We should try our best to take insults. We should try our best to make sure to, to avoid embarrassment and to avoid hurting other people. Take, take criticism that comes our way. If Hashem sends it to us through a messenger without reacting or responding. When giving to others, make sure to do so with a smile, not to make them feel even small embarrassment. Remember to be kind and considerate to others, understanding others, trying to help them out with keeping the feelings in mind. Be mindful of people's conditions and situations if they would be embarrassed to be called or visited. Remember to fear Hashem in public and private. Hashem knows and sees all. Try to make peace with others. Work out any feelings of embarrassment. Be careful when giving rebuke. What time? How to do it? Avoid it if you can. If necessary, do it in a loving manner at the right time with soft words. And finally, very often we have the power to avoid situations of embarrassment for others. Make sure to do so to help those around you. Thank you so much for sticking with us. Join us in two weeks, God willing, when we talk Another lecture series with Reb T, where we talk a topic per session with some practical lessons. Hopefully we'll see you there. Thank you very much. Have a good one, and take care.